You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, just what a good God you are. You are that good good father that we sang about earlier. And Father, we're thankful that you have invited us in a relationship with you and that you love us not as we deserve, but as just because you're a good, good God. And we thank you for that. And so, Father, we pray that you'll just uh, really help us examine once again this, this theme of hope. And I pray that as we look at it from another angle today, Father, I pray that uh, regardless of what kind of week every person here had last week, and maybe their mindset coming in this morning, I pray, Father, that you'll really breathe hope into their lives. And I pray, Father, that your spirit will just guide me to say what needs to be said so that that message of hope can really uh, speak clearly for every person here. Lord, thank you for this time, and we commit it to you in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, throughout this series of messages, we've been focused on a specific uh, uh, teaching from one particular section of the Bible. Um, We've been looking at a a group of two letters that were originally written to a church in Thessalonica, Greece. And um, these are found in your Bibles uh, in two letters entitled First and Second Thessalonians. And if you were here last week, you know that Andrew Beale did a fantastic job. In fact, I think it was probably the best sermon I've ever heard him preach, uh, describing the hope that's found in chapter four, a hope that we can have in Christ, uh, his victory and his eventual return. Now, as we begin chapter five, uh, the, the first 11 verses are really a continuation of what Andrew was talking about last week. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes I think we get tripped up when we read the Bible because we think every chapter is a separate entity. But the truth of it is there weren't these, like the huge number five wasn't in the original letter, okay? Hey, it was just one continuous letter. And so sometimes that can throw us off. Uh, So the first 11 verses of chapter 5 really just continue that thought. And in verse 8, which is where we're going to pick up the reading, the Bible writer concludes last weekend's focus with these words. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Here we see that the inspired writer, the Apostle Paul, truly describes a hope that wins. And as we think of this overriding theme of winning or being victorious, he emphasizes the importance of being properly prepared or equipped for victory. 
Now, we understand this principle in our world. We understand it in the world of sports. I mean, for example, whether it's hockey, basketball, soccer, lacrosse, or football, we understand to effectively compete, you have to be properly equipped. You have to have the necessary equipment. How silly would it be for a hockey goalie to go out there and to, you know, stand in goal without the pads and the helmet and most importantly, the face mask, right? I mean, if it wasn't for that, there would be a lot of toothless goalies, okay? Because those pucks come flying in fast. The same would be true with football. You think about next weekend's big game, the Super Bowl. How silly would it be for a, a linebacker to go out there without the helmet, without the shoulder pads? I mean, we would see somebody definitely having a concussion. We would see possible paralysis or even worse. We understand the importance of being properly equipped. Now, on this point, as I mentioned football, uh, Andrew mentioned earlier, we really want to invite you uh, to participate in this next weekend, Super Bowl weekend. Uh, we try to think, you know, it's kind of that become that unofficial holiday in, in, in the United States. And, and whether you're a football fan or not, you probably watch the Super Bowl or at least you hear about it. Or maybe you watch the commercials, you know, if nothing else. And so we want to make sure that as so many people are focused on that, we have some fun with that. So we decided to have this little healthy competition uh, between fans of the Eagles or the Patriots, okay? So, and by the way, you might notice as we assigned the, each of these teams, one of the local charities or mission partners that we participate with, um, I, I kind of put it out there and said, which mission partners do we want to participate with? And we kind of had a number of people weighing in. And my only request was that if we chose the, uh, the Victory Project, which is a, which is a mission to inner city Dayton youth that are at risk, which is it's a, it's a great ministry. It's one we've supported for a number of years. A number of people volunteer there regularly from Southwest. But I said, if we choose Victory Project, I do not want it assigned to the New England Patriots because I don't want the word victory associated with the Patriots, okay? Oh, yeah, I like that I got applause on that. Now, with that said, if you're not into football and you really don't care who wins, then you might want to take the SCAC list of donations because I'm a little nervous. I only know of four or five people that are rooting for the Patriots, okay? Uh, I'm seeing some grimaces. So maybe there's more out there. Uh, but see, as a diehard uh, Colts fan, I just, I just can't bring myself to even think about rooting uh, for the Patriots. But with that said, bring next week some donated items and set it on the flag or in front of the flag, and uh, we'll we'll have some fun with that. By the way, I want to keep you in suspense, but next weekend, I'm going to give you a biblical argument of why you should be rooting for the Eagles, okay? There is a biblical reason, but you got to come back next week to hear it, okay? Now, back to our text. The first observation we see is the importance of being properly equipped, okay, back to our point, with a winning armor. To be properly equipped with a winning armor if we want to be victorious. In verse eight, we read this. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. I think it's really significant 
how this text breaks down the Christian armor. Now, this is an illustration that the writer, the Apostle Paul, uses often in his writing. In fact, I found three references, one in Romans and one in Ephesians. In fact, if you want to read more about this Christian armor, you might want to go to Ephesians chapter 6. He really develops that thought in, in really uh, a real thorough way. And yet, uh, he, he names here in 1 Thessalonians just two pieces of armor. Now, in Paul's culture, he refers not to an athletic armor, although the Greeks understood athletics. I mean, they were the original uh, Olympics, okay? Uh, that's where it originated. And, and yet, he's talking about the armor of a Roman soldier. And he specifically points to faith and love being a breastplate to protect our vital organs. I think the, the application for us is to protect our spiritual heart to protect our spiritual priorities. And yet when it comes to our head, our thinking, our mindset, he says you need to protect that with the hope of salvation. Now let's first remember that when we began this series, we defined hope, biblical hope, with two aspects, okay? We said that for a person to really have hope, they must both have an expectation and a desire. To say that we truly have hope, then we must desire for it to happen, but we must truly expect that it will happen. So here's my question. Do you have eternal hope? Now probably everyone here that believes, if you believe there's an eternity, you, you desire to spend eternity with God. Well, that's good. That's part of hope. But the second part of it is, do you expect it? Do you both desire it and expect it? When it comes to salvation, there's this dual sense. There's another dual sense that as Christians, we experience our salvation in the present, and yet we also anticipate it in the future. You see, in the present, we can experience the joy, the, the peace, the sense of purpose and meaning that comes from being a Christian and being convinced that, that Jesus is with us. And I believe that for the Christian who's really seeking to follow Jesus and apply his teachings, that they will find that joy, that peace, that sense of purpose. And so because there's a present aspect of of salvation, I don't have a problem when someone says, hey, I, I'm saved. I was saved back in such and such point in, in my life because there is this present sense, present tense aspect of being saved, of experiencing and living out the new life that Jesus' followers can experience in the here and now. And yet there's also this sense that there's a future aspect of being saved. That the Christian longs for that which he has not yet or she has not yet experienced. Now, if you were here last week, we learned from chapter 4 that Jesus is going to return. And, and there's this anticipation for the Christian that this is going to truly be a, a glorious, fantastic event. Now, I have to be honest, there was a time in my life before I became a Christian 
that when I would hear people talk about Jesus returning, that there wasn't this sense of excitement and expectation. There was more of a sense of dread and fear because I really didn't have hope. And because I didn't really have eternal hope, this, this idea of Jesus returning and, and judgment coming was, was dreadful. It was fearful in my life. I hope that's not where you're still living. But if it is, the good news is that in coming into a relationship with Christ and and living with him and following his teachings, that you can instead look forward to that day. Now, in this text, it says whether we're awake or whether we're asleep, it's, it's not talking about physical sleep, I don't believe. I think it's talking about whether we're still alive when Jesus returns or if we've already passed, if we've already died. There's this sense that for those who are alive when he returns and for those who've already passed away, that we will all be able to experience that moment in a glorious way. And it talks about that when Jesus returns, there's going to be this, this new heaven and this new earth that he's going to bring. And, and, and honestly, I don't even understand all what that means. In fact, if you understand all what that means, let me know because I'm trying to figure it out but I'm looking forward to it. There's this anticipation. There's this hope. I hope you have that hope in your life. I think it's significant that every time spiritual armor is described in in depth, both in Ephesians and here in 1 Thessalonians, that when it talks about our minds, our heads, it talks about the helmet of salvation. You see, I'm convinced that the Lord really wants us to know that we are in a right relationship with him. He wants us to be certain and to be assured that we are in a saved relationship. As I talk with people and as I carry on discussions and listen to other people talk, I often hear people say, well, I feel like I'm saved. And whenever I hear that, I think, okay, that's, that's interesting you use that terminology. Now, don't get me wrong. I know there's a, an emotion that comes with having a relationship with Christ. I'm not trying to downplay that. And yet at the same time, I think that when we really just rely on our feelings, feelings can be very subjective. And so if you've had a good day, if you've had a good week living out your faith, then maybe you feel saved. But, but what, what happens if you have a bad week? What if you feel a little bit defeated spiritually? Do you no longer feel saved? You see, I think when we base it on emotions, it's this up and down ebb and flow. I'm grateful that in Scripture, the, the emphasis is not on our feelings, but what we can know. You see, in Scripture, over and over again, the Bible says that if we obey his teachings, if we follow Christ, that we can have assurance, that we can have confidence, not based on emotion, but based on what we know to be true and what we know we've experienced and how we have come into a personal relationship with Christ. In verses 9 and 10, he describes what that's based on. He says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live 
together with him. Here we see that although we are all sinners, we've all fallen short of God's perfection, of Jesus' perfect example. God is that loving, good father that doesn't want us to live in our guilt or face the wrath or consequences of our sin. So he is appointed or planned for his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and become our sin substitute. Jesus willingly died on the cross for you and for me so that he could take our punishment upon himself, so that we could be declared not guilty, that we could be forgiven and be assured of that forgiveness and experience not only the new life in this life, but look forward to an even greater existence with God for eternity. Personally, I I don't believe that God wants only a few people to experience this hope. I think that's where that word appointed sometimes trips people up. He wants everyone to, to truly be united with him through Christ, to have complete assurance of salvation. A salvation that's not based on our goodness or our performance or our perfect living out these teachings, but it's based on what Christ has done for each and every one of us. So I wanna ask you again, do you have that confidence? Do you have that assurance? If you don't, if you honestly don't have that assurance, and as I talk about Jesus coming back, if you don't look forward to that with an anticipation and excitement, then I wanna encourage you, keep coming back here. Keep learning from the Bible. Maybe even make a note on the communication card. I want assurance. I wanna know for certain. And we'd love to sit down with you and talk about how that can be true in your life, in your heart, and that you can know that salvation. You can know that you have the hope of salvation. Next, Paul turns the importance of having a winning attitude. Not only having a winning armor, but having a winning attitude. Now in verse 12, he, he, he kind of delves into aspects of our relationships with each other. This is kind of a sneak preview of next week's message as he t- touches on some, some of the attitudes that are necessary to have a really winning atmosphere, which we'll talk more about in a minute. But let's read in verse 12. He says, dear brothers and sisters, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. As I said, a sneak preview of a series of messages beginning next weekend where we're gonna be looking at the importance of working for the best in all of our relationships. We find here the importance, the reminder of loving, honoring, and respecting others, and specifically those who are leaders. Here at Southwest, we've been truly blessed with men and women who are providing spiritual leadership among us. As I mentioned last week, we have a a number of ministry leaders, or as the Bible describes them, deacons, that serve here and lead various ministries within the church. And these are all volunteer roles and and their names are listed in the bulletin. And we're grateful for these individuals, men and women who are spearheading 
these various ministries within our church. We also have four elders. Um, And by the way, you can see the names of our elders and our leadership team members on our website. And I encourage you, if you don't know who those are, uh, to look that up. But we have uh, elders who are praying and providing spiritual guidance for the church that meets in this place. We also have a leadership team that meets regularly, and I'm grateful for them as, as, they, as they think of strategies and policies and procedures for, to, to ensure that the Lord's work continues to grow and flourish here at Southwest. I'm truly grateful for these elders and leadership team members. They're a great encouragement to me. In fact, sometimes I think I might grow them weary because I regularly send them emails asking for prayer requests or advice or direction because I really am grateful for their leadership in my own life and how they've come alongside me and supported me and encouraged me and prayed for me, and uh, I'm so grateful for them. But I wanna put into practice what, what this passage says to specifically do. It says to respect and honor those who work hard among you. And I want to point out one individual that uh, has worked especially hard here at Southwest for the past 18 and 19 years, oftentimes in the background, oftentimes without, you know, receiving the honor that I really think this individual needs. And that, that person I want to talk about today is Lee Wagner. And here's a picture of him. If you don't know who Lee is, he's wearing a Bronco hat there. I'm not sure why, but uh, I'm just glad it's not a New England hat. But anyways, uh, he's a Colts fan like me. But, but Lee and Sherry and their teenage daughter, Julie, and some of you know Julie Tincher, but uh, they started attending Southwest when we were about six months old as a church. We were you know, on a good Sunday, 50 to 75 people then. And uh, that, that, was, that took faith on their part. I mean, Julie was our teen group, okay? So, uh, uh, you know, but, but they jumped in and they rolled up their sleeves and Lee started serving. And he has served on our leadership team here at Southwest for 18 years. That's a long, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, at the end of 2017, Lee came to me and the other leaders and he said, you know, I've been serving dual roles now for a long time. Would it be okay if I just served one of them next year? And we said, absolutely. So Lee's gonna continue to serve as an elder, uh, but he stepped down from our leadership team and then Cal Town, who's recently retired, uh, has slid into the leadership team as the elder representative. And I wanted to make sure you knew that, but I also wanted to thank Lee for his, and honor him for the years of service that he's served. Now, as we keep reading in verses 14, 17, we learn more about having a winning attitude. In fact, if we fast forward for time's sake to verse 16, we see three important attitudes that I'm convinced are truly the keys to having and maintaining a winning attitude in life. So if you've been struggling with your attitude, I want you to really listen in here because I think this, these three Simple reminders can make a world of difference in your life. In verse 16, it says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I love Bible passages 
like this that just make it real clear what God's will is for our life. You see, there are times in life, and maybe you're one of those times now, that you maybe are at a crossroads. Maybe you're at a decision point. Which way do you go in life? And maybe you've been praying, God, show me your will. What is your will for my life? That's a, that's a great prayer. And, and I'm not sure that I'm gonna be able to answer that question for you today. But I can share with you that regardless of whether or not you're at a point where you're trying to make a decision for life or whether or not things are just going really well and you're just sensing that you're in, in just in the groove of God's will for your life, either way, I can share with you that this absolutely is God's will for each and every one of us to embrace these attitudes listed here. There are three active verbs here for us to focus on, for us to be certain that we are living out God's will for our lives. The first one is to be joyful. Now, some of you might be tempted, well, I don't feel joyful. Once again, we're reminded that for the Christian, the Christian is commanded to, to rejoice to choose joy as an attitude to go through life with. You know, as I've shared before, I think many of us are about as happy as we've decided to be. You see, the promise for the Christian, because God's spirit is dwelling within you, and one of the fruit of the spirit is joy. If we are following God's lead in our life, if we're being obedient and if we're choosing to be obedient, we can rejoice, we can find reasons to have joy even when things maybe aren't going really easy right now. And I know that that can be tested. Just the past couple weeks, I've had my joy level tested. Like some of you, you about two and a half weeks ago, I kind of came down with that. The, those flu symptoms. Didn't really ever test positive, but the doctor said, you got them, got them all. So he put me on the Tamiflu thing and I coughed and wheezed. And, and uh, you know, for a number of, couple weeks there, I've just done elbow bumps because I didn't want to pass on these germs to anybody else. And then in the midst of that, you know, and all that snow, I got out there and shoveled my driveway a couple times. And wouldn't you know, I threw my back out. Okay. So so it was a kind of a double whammy. And then, you know, I'm not feeling too good. And then you read this passage, be joyful always. You see, it's, it's, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's a decision that I'm gonna choose joy. And yet that's God's will for our life. The next two actions will also influence our joy level. Secondly, we're told to never stop praying, to pray without ceasing, or never quit praying. Now that's a challenge for some of us when maybe what we've been praying for or maybe who we've been praying for for some time, we've not yet seen that prayer answered. I had someone last night after our Saturday night worship gathering said, what do you do when you don't feel like you've received an answer? I said, well, I think God answers every prayer, but... Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet. And so that because of that, I believe we're instructed by God to keep praying, to never quit praying. 
I think there's two areas of life that we can be certain it's God's will for us to pray about. One is when there's a particular area in our life that maybe we're being tempted in, maybe a particular weakness or a sinful habit that just keeps cropping up in our life. God wants us to live a holy life. So we can pray with confidence and never quit praying and never give up hope that through God's power that we will eventually overcome. Maybe you say, well, God's not answered my prayer. Well, I would suggest not yet. Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Another area that I think we need to keep on praying is for those friends and family members that are not yet a Christian. I've got relatives that I've prayed for for years, decades for some, that they will become a Christian. The answer is not yet, but I'm gonna keep on praying and I'm gonna keep believing that if I keep praying, God's gonna be at work in their lives in powerful ways. I wanna encourage you, if, if you've got that person in your life you've been praying for, don't quit. Keep on praying. That's God's will for your life. Again, remember, I believe from Scripture we find this in 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, that God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So never stop praying. Finally, we're told that another essential secret of having a winning, hopeful attitude in verse 18 is be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. Now, we pointed out before, this passage doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. There's some circumstances in life that just stink, okay? Let's be honest about it. And you're not necessarily thankful for those circumstances, but you can find something to be thankful for in the midst of that circumstance, Maybe just what you've learned from it. Maybe ways that your faith has grown. Now, some of us are better at that than others. So this weekend, I wanna give you a practical action that will hopefully help you learn this winning attitude of gratitude. This past week, as I was researching, I, I came across an article that was published in the January edition of Psychology Today. Now, I don't read that magazine very often, but this article grabbed my attention. It was entitled, How to Incorporate More Gratitude into Your Life This Year. And the author shared this idea of a gratitude jar. And so I just happened to have with me today a gratitude jar, okay? So the author described the practice of writing down the things that she felt grateful for on a slip of paper and then daily putting them into the jar. The plan was at the end of the year to read over all those slips of paper and to be encouraged of what she had to be grateful for. Now, some of you go, I can't do that for 365 days. Well, maybe for some of you, just take the challenge for February. It's the shortest month of the year, okay? So, I mean, what do you got to... Lose for a trying. But I, I read this article and, and, and she kept going. She said, she said, writing down the things she felt grateful for, she says, gratitude, uh, studies show gratitude is a simple but effective way to improve your physical and psychological well being. 
She also writes, practicing gratitude means you'll be less likely to engage in the habits that rob you of mental strength, like feeling sorry for yourself. So because of that, I found this ball jar at home, cut out the word gratitude jar on it, and I've set it on my desk. In fact, I took it to staff meeting, and that's how we opened up staff meeting. We passed it around. I said, everybody take a piece of paper, write down something you're grateful for, and before you put it in the jar, share it with the rest of us. And I'm going to have this sitting on my desk, so if you come and visit my office, I'm going to ask you to fill out a, you know, something to be grateful for. Maybe that's the best way I can help you. And I'm committed to doing this every day so that I can grow in the attitude of gratitude. Finally, by the way, if you, if you want work on this right away, maybe tear off a piece of the message notes and write something you're grateful for, and you can just come up after the service and put it in there, okay? I'll celebrate with you. And, uh, or maybe you start your own jar at home. Finally, we see Paul concludes this letter to this model Greek church by describing not only a winning armor and a winning attitude, but a, he describes a winning atmosphere or culture for them to embrace as a church. And really, this whole letter closes with a prayer. It's a benediction. And let's read it as we close out this series. And I pray this prayer for you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify, that's a biblical word that means make you holy, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Isn't that good news? God is faithful. And if we pray this prayer and if we embrace this winning attitude, God will do what he's promised. And then Paul closes with these final words. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think embedded in this passage through this prayer and through these final instructions, we see some keys to creating a winning atmosphere, creating a culture of hope. You know, as a church, our vision statement is we want to be a church that's bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. And we want to make sure that as we reach out and bridge the gap to others, as they come and worship with us and investigate what we're all about as a church, that they see a culture of hope that they see that and sense that as they're among us. A church that's devoted to reading Scripture, the Word of God, so that we can know this hope. A church that's committed to praying for each other. A church that is really demonstrating love for one another. Here we find in this passage, what the early Christians practiced, a holy kiss. Now, I'm not sure in the middle of flu season if this is a time to restore this teaching, but, but the truth of it is the early Christians, they really loved one another, and it was a drawing impact. It was a culture that others wanted to be a part of because of their love for one another. I think we can grow in this area. You know, I think that 
We want to break down some barriers and keep showing love toward one another in such a way that it's a culture of love and hope for people to experience. You know, maybe we're not ready to restore this idea of a holy kiss, but maybe, maybe a holy handshake or maybe even some of us be daring enough to give a hug. There's something about when you're part of a winning team. You know, I guarantee you next weekend at the Super Bowl, whoever wins, you're gonna see these big, burly, strong, muscular guys hugging each other. Even though it kind of goes against the man code sometimes, you know, but, but you're gonna see why at winning teams, there's this excitement. There's just, you know, it's too good to keep to yourself. And I think that's, we're part of a winning team, the kingdom of God. And so when we come together, there should be love and hope and hugs. Let's live it out. As we conclude our time of this series, but also this message, we conclude as we do every weekend with communion. And I think it's a continual thought from what we've just been talking about. You see, in Christ... In Christ, we're part of a winning team. The final verse of 1 Thessalonians says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. One way that we wanna make sure that the grace of, of our Lord Jesus Christ is always present with us every time we gather as a church on the weekend is by always making sure we have this time of communion that we remember that, that our salvation, our hope, our confidence is not based on whether we had a good week or bad week last week. It's based upon what Jesus has done for us. And so when we take, when we pass these trays with the bread and the cups, we are participating in this Christian act that's been going on for 2,000 years. And as we take the bread, we're reminded that Jesus is real. And we have put our hope in him. And as we take the cup, we, we remember his love for us. And, and it was, his love was even to the point of shedding his blood. And as we think of the cross, it's not a solemn time. It's not a time to, to be down. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of victory because you see at the cross, Jesus overcame sin. He overcame death. And through his resurrection, we too can overcome. So as we pass this, these trays and as we participate in this celebratory meal, let's claim the victory that our, is ours in Christ. And let's be a church of hope a church that claims the hope that's found only in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you, Father, that um, your word is just so full of messages of hope. Thank you for the past five weeks we've talked about how hope is lived out in, in these two letters of First and Second Thessalonians and how it can be lived out in our lives. But Father, as we prepare for a time of reflection and meditation and remembrance during this time of communion, fill our hearts with gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Help us focus on him 
and the victory that he won and the victory that is ours because of our confidence, trust, and being united with him. Help us during this time of communion truly to rejoice, to truly be praying prayers of gratitude and to truly, truly be thankful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings. Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.